I'm reminding you. It's time for the Melissa Gilbert Learning Hour. Good morning. This is the Melissa Gilbert Learning Hour podcast. I am Melissa Gilbert, but no, not that one. Each season, I share what I've learned about a few topics kind of related to a central theme. And this week, it's all about the holidays. They are nothing like we expected, but here we are. For me, holidays usually mean laundry, door decorating, dehydrated actors, and student matinees, which means you take nighttime theater folk and wake them up super early to perform for students. So many coffee are had. I'm going to segue into my newest section called Go Watch That. Sometimes it's going to be Go Read That. Uh, But basically, you need to go watch an absolutely stunning documentary on Netflix called Giving Voice, a documentary about the August Wilson monologue competition. With executive producers Viola Davis and Denzel Washington, they follow several students as they make their way through the August Wilson monologue competition in 2018. Go queue it up so you can watch it after the podcast. Okie dokie. This season of the Melissa Gilbert Learning Hour is sponsored by Omni Theater Center's program Signal Boost, featuring new online performances and experiences every week, including Music Mondays, the Friday Night Fix, and the Melissa Gilbert Learning Hour. For more information, visit omnitheater.org slash signal boost. That is omnitheater.org slash signal boost. My first holiday at OTC, I was an intern. Now they're called apprentices. And for a brief bit, they were called apprenturns as they were switching over, which I love. That year, we did Annie. So today is all about that scrappy little orphan. Now, I have loved Annie since I was a child. I played Miss Hannigan in my sixth grade production and got rave reviews at Desert Valley Elementary. And I thought I knew about Annie, but I actually did not. November 15, 1885, James Whitcomb Riley has a poem titled The Elf Child, published in the Indianapolis Journal. It later came to be known as Little Orphan Annie. It's based on the life of a real girl named Mary Alice Smith, who was born in Indiana on the 25th of September, 1850. Based on the life of a real girl named Mary Alice Smith, who was born in Indiana on September 25th, 1850. There are several versions of events that eventually lead to her orphaning at age nine, but she is eventually taken in by an uncle who dresses her in all black and, quote, bound her out to earn her board and keep, unquote, end quote, unquote. I like that better. She is taken in by a Captain Riley to help his wife Elizabeth care for their four children. In the evenings, Mary Alice, called Allie, would regale the children with stories. One of the children, James Whitcomb Riley, would use this as inspiration for his 1885 poem. Riley was known as the children's poet or the Hoosier poet because of his dialect work and the children-focused poems. Most of his poems were meant to be read aloud, Technical aspects include the fact that it's written in the 19th century Hoosier dialect. Riley apparently kept notebooks, quote, as accurate as a scientist, unquote, for his dialect work. That means it's written in a way to elicit those sounds. So and, A-N-D is spelled an apostrophe, 
once is W-U-N-S-T. It's written in regular iambic meter and features alliteration, parallels, phonetic intensifiers, and onomatopoeia. Uh, it was originally titled Allie, but a typeset error changed it to Annie, and the rest is herstory. I'm reading the Wikipedia translation if you would like to follow along. Now get ready for Little Orphan Annie. Little Orphan Annie, come to our house to stay, and wash the cups and saucers up and brush the crumbs away, and shoo the chickens off the porch and dust the hearth and sweep, and make the fire and bake the bread and earn her board and keep. And all us other children, when the supper things is done, we set around the kitchen fire and has the mostest fun. A listening to the witch tales that Annie tells about, and the goblins will get you if you don't watch out. Once there was a little boy wouldn't say his prayers, and when he went to bed at night away upstairs, his mammy heard him holler, and his daddy heard him bawl, and when they turned the kivers down, he wasn't there at all. And they seeked him in the rafter room and cubbyhole and press, and seeked him in the chimbley flue, and ever whereas, I guess. But all they ever found was this his pants and roundabout, and the goblins'll get you if you don't watch out. And one time a little girl oo'd allus laugh and grin, and make fun of ever one and all her blood and kin. And once was there a company, and all folks was there. She mocked em and shocked em and said she didn't care. And this, as she kicked her heels and turned to run and hide, they was two great big black things a-standin' by her side. And they snatched her through the ceiling for she knowed what she's about. And the goblins'll get ya if you don't watch out. And little orphan Annie says when the blaze is blue and the lampwick sputters and the wind goes woo-woo, and you hear the crickets quit, and the moon is gray, and the lightning bugs and dew is all squenched away. You better mind your parents and your teachers fond and dear, and cherish them at loves you, and dry the orphan's tear, and help the poor and needy ones at clusters all about, ere the goblins'll get you if you don't watch out. It's a very fun poem to read, and you almost have to read it aloud to get a true sense of the dialect, if you yourself are not a 19th century Hoosier, which I am not. I did spend a summer in the Hoosier state, but you'll hear about that next episode. There is a pig involved. Anyway, August 5th, 5th, August 5th, 1924, the Daily Comic Strip, Little Orphan Annie by Harold Gray premiered in the New York Daily News. Originally, the creepy, pupilless orphan child would be a boy named Otto, but when Gray realized that of the 43 strips in print, there were only three that featured women in prominent roles, he decided it was time for a little girl. It has the same overall story. An orphan is rescued by a rich man, and most of the same characters that modern audiences would recognize based on popular movie versions. But there are a few differences. Daddy Warbucks is married, his wife does not like Annie, and every time he's called away from business, Annie gets kicked out of the house and goes on adventures, but eventually returns. Historian Elizabeth Maurer 
writes that Annie was, quote, neither ladylike nor cute. She was the antithesis of Shirley Temple. While she frequently ends up in dicey situations, she usually saves herself, unquote. The public loved the new strips, but newspapers sometimes did not. Because of Gray's strong conservative viewpoints, the strip often featured content that newspapers weren't too keen on printing. West Virginia's Huntington Herald-Dispatch pulled the strip and replaced it with a banner that read, quote, deleted for violation of reader trust, unquote. Gray eventually killed off Daddy Warbucks to spite FDR. He died of the mysterious illness of capitalist success, but after the president died, he brought back Warbucks from, quote, a coma, having the character say, the climate here has changed since I went away. Despite Gray passing away in 1968, the strip continued until 2010 when Annie was finally canceled. At the time, she was appearing in less than 20 newspapers in the U.S. But as we know, that's not the end for Annie. In addition to the comic strip, there were radio productions and, most famously, a musicale. In 1977, Annie, a new musical, with music by Charles Strauss, lyrics by Martin Charnin, and book by Thomas Meehan, opened on the Broadway. So often, that's all the production information you get, but I'm going to list some others because I can. Costume designer, Theone Aldrich. Hair design, Ted Azar. Lighting designer, Julie Rasmussen. Scenic design by David Mitchell. The stage manager was Jack Timmers. The production stage manager was Janet Barroza. Production supervisor, Jerry Adler. And choreographer, Peter Gennaro. It was nominated for 11 Tonys and won seven including Best Book of a Musical, Best Choreography, Costume Design, Original Score, Best Musical Overall, and Best Leading Actress for Dorothy Loden, as well as Best Scenic Design. It closed on January 2nd, 1983, after 2,377 performances, and it set a record for the longest-running show at the Neil Simon Theater, formerly the Alvin Theater, until it was eclipsed by Hairspray in 2009. During its pre-Broadway opening at Goodspeed Opera in Connecticut, Kristen Vigard played Annie, but producers switched her with Andrea McArdle before it hit Broadway. Kristen would go on to understudy Annie and play Pepper. During the run, as with many Broadway ones, Broadway ones, actors get replaced. Future Annies would include Shelley Bruce, Sarah Jessica Parker, Allison Smith, and Allison Kirk. Andrea McArdle has had a solid career since that performing on Broadway, in regional theaters, on television and film, including playing Miss Hannigan in two stage productions in 2010 and having a guest appearance as the star-to-be in the 1999 movie version with Alicia Morton as Annie, Kathy Bates, Victor Garber, Audra McDonald, and Alan Cumming, who was the OTC gala performer in 2018. I got to steam his pants and enjoy his one-man show from stage right, the very same stage where I pulled fly rails for Annie many years before. Uh, future Broadway peppers include Jen Thompson, who comes from a Dynamo Theater family and is a director that I personally admire a great deal. Uh, she's especially known for reimagining the classics. She directed a production of Noises Off when I worked at Dorset Theater Festival, which you will hear more about next episode because it's all about summer stock. 
Uh, there is a website called AnnieOrphans.com, and it is run by one of the orphans from the original company, and it has a ton of amazing photos from the original Broadway production, the tours, and it tells you what all the orphans are up to. The 1982 movie version is what I grew up with, Eileen Quinn. She was an orphan swing on Broadway. Swings are performers that learn a bunch of parts. Quinn learned all of the orphans except for Annie, uh, and they're usually at the theater for all performances in case there's a last-minute substitution due to illness or injury. We have some amazing swing performers here in the DMV. I've had swings go on mid-show for a role after having performed a different one earlier in the day. Swings go on for roles that they may have not gotten to rehearse, and the audience never knows. So... The 1982 film starred Albert Finney. They wanted Sean Connery, but he wouldn't shave his head. Carol Burnett, Bernadette Peters, Anne Rain King, Tim Curry, Jeffrey Holder, and Edward Herman. It had all the classics, Tomorrow, A Hard Knock Life, and it included new songs like Let's Go to the Movies and We Got Annie. It did not include my two favorite songs from the show. Something Was Missing is a heartfelt song where Warbucks asks Annie to be his daughter. When we did it at in 2010, George Dvorsky, our daddy Warbucks, had me verklempt every night, and then we had a quick change in the wings from his suit to his tux. It also does not include, I'd like to thank you, Herbert Hoover. Y'all, this is my favorite song, possibly in, like, all of musical theater. <laughs> so it's a song early in the musical, and it sets the location of us being in the Great Depression, in Hooverville specifically. So Hoovervilles were shanty towns that got built during the Great Depression by the homeless in the United States. And they were cheekily named after President Herbert Hoover uh, because he was widely blamed for the onset of the Depression. The song, I'm not going to sing it. But it goes a little bit like this. Today we're living in a shanty. Today we're scrounging for a meal. Today I'm stealing coal for fires. Who knew I could steal? I used to winter in the tropics. I spent my summers at the shore. I used to throw away the paper. He don't anymore. We'd like to thank you, Herbert Hoover, for really showing us the way. We'd like to thank you, Herbert Hoover. You've made us what we are today. It continues on, but my favorite line, my favorite rhyme ever, is the very last stanza. And it says, We'd like to thank you, Herbert Hoover, for really showing us the way. You dirty rat, you bureaucrat, you made us what we are today. Come and get it, Herb. Ugh, classic. Anyway. When we did the production at Olney Theatre Center in 2010, we had the Networks package, which was the original Theone Aldrich costumes and the Ming Cho Lee set. Now, Theone Aldrich is a rather notable costume designer. Her Broadway credits include Anyone Can Whistle, A Chorus Line, Annie, 42nd Street, Dreamgirls, La Casha Fall, Dreamgirls Revival, and the Annie Revival, and so many more. Her film credits also include the 1982 Annie, Ghostbusters, Moonstruck, Adam's Family Values, and the first Wives Club, which I must say the three white suits at the end are a big reason why I became the costume designer. Pure brilliance. Understated brilliance. The orphans definitely didn't know any of that. When we called them in for fittings, one of the first ones tried on their finale costumes and in this design, the orphans wear pastel versions of the traditional Annie dress with uh, 
the block color, the white belt, collar cuffs, and the black outlines. Uh, so this little girl was smiling so big and twirling, and she loved it. It was a pink dress, so it must have been one of the Mollies, if memory serves me correct. And then she tries on her orphan outfit, which she wears most of the show, and her face falls, and she says she doesn't like it. It's ugly. She likes the other one better. Well, to the best of our ability, we explained the difference between the costumes and why she had to wear the orphan one. You know, orphans don't have nice clothes. But she went right back to the other orphans and told them about all of the ugly costumes. <laughs> so after that, we had, how many is it, seven, 13 more little girls coming and saying, why is there an ugly costume? I want to wear the cute one. Now, let me tell you, I love having kids on shows. Mostly because in professional theater, you get a child wrangler, which is an adult or adults who are entirely responsible for them. And that is not me. I get to be the fun but stern wardrobe supervisor. Caitlin Deeran was our amazing Annie, and we only had one, which means she did all the shows. The orphans are always double cast. There's, you know, child labor laws and things. And they were dubbed the red and blue team. Now, something we always do for double cast kids is try to name them something equivalent. We don't want team A and B or one and two, but we will absolutely do team A and team one. I personally prefer red and blue. It is easier for me to remember. Now, the set flew in and rolled and myself and the other wardrobe intern, Mickey, also had to pull fly rails. Designer Ming Cho Lee was one of the scenic designers of the American theater in the 20th century. He passed at the age of 90 in October of 2020 after an illustrious career, which included over 20 Broadway shows, the likes of Mother Courage and Her Children, King Lear, The Glass Menagerie, The Shadow Box, and For Color Girls Who Have Considered Suicide When the Rainbow Is Enough and K2, for which he won a Tony, about two mountain climbers stuck on the ledge on the second highest mountain in the world. He taught at Yale for 48 years and was co-chair of the design department. He's won a Drama Desk Award, two Henry Hughes Awards, a Tony, and the 2013 Lifetime Achievement Award, and a Helen Hayes Award. Uh, here's a backstage secret. That set has a Transformers logo spray painted on the back of it because that's what it was like. Now, these set pieces are like giant, 16, 20 feet tall, maybe four, eight feet wide. And the crew was responsible for putting together all these giant sets and moving them around backstage while the show's going on. It's insane. That was also more exciting than Transformer set. That was also the inaugural year of the Footy Jammers. Our beloved costume shop manager, Jeannie, had gotten us footy pajamas for Christmas. Mine had dinosaurs. Mickey's had cupcakes because she loved to bake. And oh my gosh, we had way too much fun. We ran into every single dressing room <laughs> yelling about our footy pajamas, especially the butt flaps. Uh, so there's always a pajama day during a holiday run, sometimes even during the summer shows. And I wear my dino jammers every single year since then. I'm actually wearing them right now because it's freezing outside and I am lit cozy. So in November 2017, Alney opens Annie again, this time with direction by Jason King-Jones, choreography by Rachel Lee Dolan, and musical direction by Jay Crowder. 
Costume design was by OTC Costume Design Supervisor Seth M. Gilbert of the Michigan Gilberts, no relation. Scenic design was by Daniel Edinger. Lighting design by Sarah Tunderman. Sound design by Rock Lee. Wig and hair by Alexandra Pohanko. Uh, Annie was played by Noelle Robinson, and Daddy Warbucks was played by Kevin McAllister, who was Santa in our production of Elf a few years ago. MD Theater Guide review of Annie by Rachel Harvey Jones said that Robinson sings and dances her way through Maybe, It's a Hard Knock Life, Tomorrow, and many others with the professionalism of a much older seasoned performer. Kudos to this young girl for singing, dancing, and handling her furry partner, Sandy, with great skill. They go on to say, as Oliver Warbucks, Kevin McAllister is well cast as the rich tycoon who seems to have fared well through the Great Depression. His vocal experience is abundant in this role. His velvet-like strong tones are a pleasure to listen to with songs like Something Was Missing and I Don't Need Anything But You. Kevin and Noelle are both black actors, which is different from the original comic strip of Little White Annie with red curly hair. In 2014, a remake of Annie starring Quivon Janae Wallace, Jamie Foxx, both black actors, and Cameron Diaz premiered and there was some backlash because people are poop faces. The red hair and freckles that so many associated with Annie was apparently the most important part of the character. Twitter was, of course, very upset. But we're not here to tweet. We are here to learn. So the Little Orphan Annie comic strip was actually a political commentary about the times. The depiction of Annie as a little girl with red curly hair was a choice made to identify her as Irish. At the time the original poem came out and the comic strip, Irish immigrants were not well looked upon. Signs that said, no Irish need apply were a common sight. Gray depicted Annie with red curly hair and freckles that made her a beloved part of Americana. Quivangene Wallace, who was coming off of an Academy Award nomination for her role as Hush Puppy in the drama film Beasts of the Southern Wild, played the role with natural hair, updating the aspects of the beloved character for an entire new generation. Now, while I haven't watched a version of Annie, I think since then, it still holds a really special place in my heart, especially for the holidays. That year that I did Annie, there was a Christmas cabaret that the performers did. And Mickey and I sat in the back of the theater, the main stage theater at Olney, listening to I'll Be Home for Christmas. Both of us are from Arizona, so we wouldn't be seeing our families that year. But Olney itself is an entire big new family. Now, by the end of the show, of course, Annie is adopted, the orphans are in cute outfits, and everyone is happy. One of the final songs is called New Deal for Christmas, and that's what I'm going to leave you with. Uh, it's appropriately fitting for this year. So here we go. Again, I'm not going to sing this, but I think the lyrics are very good. I know the depression's depressing, the carols are stilled, the stores aren't filled, and the windows are minus the dressing, the children don't grin, the Santas are thin, and I've heard a terrible rumor, no goodwill, no cheer, but we'll have a new deal for Christmas this year. The snowflakes are fighting of falling, and oh what a fix, no peppermint sticks, 
And all through the land, folks are bawling and filled with despair because cupboards are bare. But Santa's got brand new assistance. There's nothing to fear. They're bringing a new deal for Christmas this year. There was one rehearsal. I don't know if it was a put-in, which means you put in an understudy to have them rehearse the parts that they would be in, or a pickup rehearsal, which is with everyone to just brush up. But there was some rehearsal where the orphans weren't called and they were doing New Deal for Christmas. And Mickey and I were there to go through the costume changes and got to be the orphan stand-ins for New Deal for Christmas. And it was the most exciting moment. And we had so much fun. We got to sing all their little lines like Molly's. And oh, what a fix. No peppermint sticks. We rode around on the little tricycle. It was fabulous. All right, y'all. I'll be back in two weeks, just in time for the new year, with our next episode and a special guest. In the meantime, like, share, subscribe, review, wash your hands, wear a mask, and have a wonderful winter, a happy Hanukkah, a Merry Christmas.